welcome to Spider-Man Podcast. My name is SK Parker. I'm Assistant Director of Career Services, and I'm here with my colleague, Rachel Rodney, also Assistant Director of Career Services. And the two of us work in, on the industry of entrepreneurship and innovation. We're excited to bring this podcast to the UR community. Yes, so the reason why we are doing this podcast is to show you all, you of our students and alumni, um, what it means to be an entrepreneur or innovator as a U of R graduate. Um, so we will be featuring a alum on every episode this year um, who has done a variety of things, whether it started their own business or a service or things like that from all over the country. We're going to ask them lots of questions and hopefully that will give you a lot of information to maybe think that this is a possibility for you to be an entrepreneur and an innovator in your own life. Absolutely. We want you to learn with us. We want you to engage with us. Um, every single week, we're going to bring you um, a great interview from an alum, and then we'll introduce our next alum for the next month. If you have questions for that person, um, please send them to spidermaid at richmond.edu. We'd love to hear your comments and feedback. Um, we'd also love to hear from you if you're a student entrepreneur or innovator, um, because we also think that it'd be great to highlight students on this podcast. So please engage with us. Send us emails. Um, let us know what you think, and we're um, excited to hear from you spread the word share this with your friends keep listening um, and we are super excited to welcome our first guest for the month of september alex Sorensen. yay and then do we Alec is a 2013 graduate of the University of Richmond with a BA in economics. Uh, he started his career as a management consultant with Avocent in DC and is now the founder and CEO of TradeSpace. TradeSpace is speeding innovation by making it easier, faster, and cheaper to bring new tech to market. Um, it puts over 100 million patents and technologies at your fingertips and uses powerful predictive analytics to help companies, governments, and universities commercialize tech with confidence and make smarter business decisions. Welcome, Alec. So um, we know that you're the founder and CEO of TradeSpace. Do you want to talk to us a little bit about your current role and what it took to get there? Absolutely. Um, and I'm happy to provide a bit more context on what TradeSpace is as well. Um, love, love that. Absolutely. So I founded about two years ago. Um, and that was after about five years at a management consulting firm um, in Washington, D.C. And um, I founded TradeSpace as a company to help other companies and universities and labs that are generating technology um, and primarily intellectual property. So things like patents and ideas to help them take those ideas and that technology and connect with other companies that could use those technologies for other purposes. Um, so we function as a marketplace for intellectual property, helping, helping to unlock the potential value that's trapped in companies. Um, and so as, as CEO, Hey, SK here with a quick aside. If you're interested in learning more about TradeSpace, you can visit them at tradespace.io or on linkedin.com backslash company backslash tradespace-io. I, I lead um, the company around a lot of different initiatives, uh, particularly since we are a small company. Um, there's only about five of us right now, um, but 
you know, my role typically consists of kind of keeping the business running day to day, making sure we have enough money in the bank, making sure we have the people we need to execute on, on um, the objectives we have. Um, and then ultimately to kind of look at the market and see, you know, what our company needs to look like in six months and 12 months and, and ultimately in five years. Very cool. Thank you for that explanation. Um, so you started out in management consulting. Did you ever think that you'd be here as an entrepreneur? What, did, what do you feel like in your timeline brought you here? Sure. Um, it's, it's a great question. And, you know, when I, particularly when I was coming out of school, you know, I would look around and this was the time where you had this enormous boom of, of startups, you know, some of the the unicorns that you see now, the, the Facebooks, the Instagrams, the, the Snapchats, you know, they were getting started. They were just starting to get publicity. Um, and you look at some of these and, and, you know, I would think, wow, you know, these people must have kind of always known that they wanted to do this. They must have, you know, seen this problem from day one and kind of, you know, driven their whole lives to, to getting to this point. Um, and for me, that was a, a very different path. Um, you know, I joined management consulting because I didn't really know what I wanted to do out of school. I had majored in economics and international studies. I had you know, spent time in the Middle East, um, travel around to other places, but there wasn't any one market or any one problem that really stood out to me. Um, so I joined a consulting firm and had the great opportunity to work on you know, a real a variety of, of different projects and problems with a lot of different and interesting companies. Um, and through that experience, I, I started working in transactions. So helping large companies buy other companies, large companies buy and sell technologies. Um, and ultimately that got me into the intellectual property space, which is a space that you know I would have never seen myself in. Um, you know, most people in that, that market have, legal backgrounds. There's a lot of lawyers, um, some bankers as well. Um, but I started, you know, working in this field, helping, um, in this case, aerospace and defense companies take technologies they had built for the government and spin those out into other industries. So for example, you can think of, you know, a defense company building maybe a laser to, to shoot down um, drones that were attacking. Um, and actually taking that laser technology and moving it into the oil and gas field to um, extract oil without using any dangerous chemicals. So those were the types of things we were doing. Um, but while I was doing that, what I saw was that a lot of these companies had far more technology that they weren't doing anything with that. And we weren't able to really help them because we were pretty expensive as a consulting firm. Those companies didn't have a ton of resources. And so you had all this technology that was kind of trapped within those companies. And that was the, the genesis for TradeSpace was to see, you know, can we figure out a way to unlock the value for all the rest of these technologies? Um, and, and kind of getting back to the initial question um, around my path, you know, this was never something, you know, three or four years ago that, you know, I even really was aware of. Um, but as you get into the space and kind of see these problems, it, it quickly became clear that this was something um, that was of critical importance that a lot of companies struggled with. And so, you know, we asked ourselves at the early stage of the company, you know, a couple different questions, you know, A, is this, you know, is there a market big enough for this? And then B, 
you know, are we the right people to solve it? And it turns out, you know, we think the answer is, is yes. Um, so that's kind of my, my long-winded answer. Uh, and just to add to that, you know, when I was going through consulting, you know, I, I knew a lot of people who wanted to get into the startup space. And, you know, they spent a lot of time kind of looking for the right problem to solve um, and saying, well, I want to do a startup, but I don't know what it should be. You know, let me try to find some different ideas. Um, and, and again, that it happened very differently for me, right? You know, it, it was more of kind of organically encountering a problem and, and realizing that that was something that, first of all, mattered to me. And second of all, you know, was something that nobody else had really tried to solve. That's awesome. So, so can you tell us a little bit about when you were making the decision to leave your full-time role and pursue this full-time? Um, what, how did you feel? What did that look like? Um, you know, was it a, a big leap? Um, what was that situation like for you? Sure. Um, it was quite a leap. Um, and it was <laughs> a leap in, in a number of different ways. Um, you know, obviously there's financial implications of a move like that. Um, but for me, there were also you know, geographic implications. I ended up moving to San Francisco very shortly after I started the company. Um, but that, that's maybe getting ahead of ourselves. Um, you know, I first started thinking about the startup probably about six to eight months before I actually left and executed. And so you know, I think this is probably advice to anybody who's at a job right now thinking about doing something. Um, you know, there is definitely some some work that can be done to test the waters without you know fully committing. And I think it's important to do your full diligence before you start something that's this big and this impactful. And, and for me, what that looked like was um, not necessarily building a business, but going out and just asking people a lot of questions, you know, not only talking to people who had built startups before, but talking to people in the industry and in the market that I cared about to say, okay, well, you know, this is a problem that makes a lot of sense to me. But, you know, when I talk to other people who have been in this market for 20 years, does that make sense to them? So I spent, you know, about six months just talking to as many people as possible. Lawyers who worked in intellectual property, um, business people at companies who were responsible for acquiring technology. Um, and ultimately, that got me to the point where, you know, six months from when I started thinking about this, I knew that if I were to make a jump, you know, I may or may not be successful, but there at least was a real problem to solve. Um, and, and then for me, you know, I was fortunate enough to, you know, be able to work for at least a short period of time um, without, without any income. Um, but that's always, you know, a, a very difficult kind of six months or, or eight months. And uh, what it did though, was it, it created a very time-bounded, um, time-bounded opportunity to prove out the business. And so, you know, in my case, if, if we weren't able to start generating some sort of revenue within a year, then you know, it wasn't going to work because we weren't going to be able to put food on the table um, <laughs> and, and pay rent in that case. Um, so, which was, was good, I think, for us. You know, it was a great forcing function. And so having left the company, left my company, um, you know, moved out to San Francisco, primarily because that was where the funding was, but also that was where some of our customers were, or potential customers. And then we, or I, 
um, very quickly started kind of just talking to new companies. Um, we didn't even have a product at that point. It was talking to people about, hey, this is what we're doing. This is what we're building. Do you want to be a part of that? And we're lucky enough to have you know an, an initial customer say, yes, this is a big problem. We know you're still trying to build something, but we think you can already add value. Um, we're happy to um, talk about a contract. And, and that was what, what got us off the ground from there. That whole notion of spending the real time to do the research and the due diligence is so important. I think when entrepreneurs think about starting something, they think about tax IDs and LLCs. Um, but that whole research aspect is even more important. And so we're wondering, how did you find those people to talk to? What, how did you get led to those folks? Sure. Um, so I think part of that, part of that came from me starting a business in a market I already knew a little bit about. Right. So I knew enough to find the people to ask the first question to, and then they would help me find the next people. Um, mm -hmm. But something that I, I've definitely encountered over time is that you know, people like to be helpful, especially when you're kind of at an age where you're going, you know, just out of college, trying to start something new. You know, nobody sees you as super competitive in the moment. They see you as you know something that somebody doing something that they would have wanted to do earlier on. Um, so you kind of you start with a hypothesis. You know, it might be completely wrong, but you say, you know, I think you know these companies are experiencing this problem, and this particular person in the company is the person who I need to talk to. And hopefully, those are some people you can get in touch with yourself. Um, or within your network and you have a conversation and, and maybe that conversation goes, you know, sorry, I, I don't have any experience here and I can't help you. I'm the wrong person. But then you ask them, okay, well, if you're the wrong person, you know, could you think of anybody who I could talk to? So um, there's a lot of that going on. Um, I would say maybe to, to dovetail with, with your question, you know, my, probably my best advice for, very early stage founders or people thinking about starting a company is, you know, there's an incredible amount of value in just going out and doing things and testing. Um, so, you know, when I was starting, I did spend probably too much time trying to build a large contact list and doing all this research on the right people to talk to. I also spent a lot of time on, you know, research around, you know, let me build a financial model. Um, and what I quickly learned was that everything kind of falls apart when you start trying to execute. So instead of spending all of this time on planning, you know, the, the best thing you can do is just go out and talk to people. They may be the wrong people, but they get you a little bit closer and they either disprove or prove your first hypothesis and let you move on to the next hypothesis. That's awesome. I'm just curious, um, how many ideas are, do you feel like you constantly kind of come up with, um, problems to solve or ideas? Is that like kind of part of your personality? Have you seen that evolve over, you know, your time in school and then your time as a professional? Um, I know you mentioned earlier that you kind of asked, you and your team asked, is this, are we the right people to solve this problem? Um, you know, I think that's such a great and introspective question to ask. Um, but have you had other ideas in the past where you were like, I'm not sure, or someone's already done that? Um, is this kind of like a normal part of, of who you are as a person? Yeah, I, I think so. Um, I think, you know, part of that stems from not having kind of one driving focus, right? You know, there's some people who 
you know, start their careers saying, I'm going to be a doctor. And, and that's kind of their driving focus their whole time. Um, or I want to work in, in healthcare. And I think because I'm a generalist, and I know there are a lot of other generalists out there, you know, I think that kind of opens you to all these different ideas. And for me, you know, what drives me is less any particular market and more solving for inefficiency. Yeah, it's probably kind of the, the economics background that I have. Um, so yes, there, you know, there were a lot of ideas. And I think, you know, my colleagues in consulting, you know, that's an area where you have a lot of people like me. So there are always people talking about, you know, well, you know, this is a big problem, you know, we could easily fix it doing this. But you're right in that you do have to ask yourself, you know, a number of questions. And, and the most important one is that, you know, am I or are we the right team to tackle this? And, you know, you don't necessarily have to be, you know, a nuclear physicist or a, you know, leading mind in the field to be the right person to, to tackle a problem. But you have to be able to tell a compelling story. That's really what it is. Even if you're not the best person, you have to be able to communicate something um, to customers, to investors, to other employees around why you're the team to tackle this. Um, and, and I think that's the key because a lot of what you're doing as a founder is storytelling, is getting people to believe in you. Um, and if you can't tell a story to yourself that makes sense and that gets you to believe that there's no way you can tell that story to other people. Absolutely. Um, with that, thinking about that, what are some misconceptions that have um, you've disproven through this process of being an entrepreneur, maybe assumptions that you had or things that maybe surprised you along the way? Sure. Um, so there, there's a couple of different ones. Um, the first I, I mentioned, I think earlier, which was, you know, that in order to start a business, you need to have all of this infrastructure, mm -hmm. have all this planning, right? You know, the amount of time I spent building slide decks and financial models, and, and that might be my background as a consultant. Um, <laughs> but of course, all of that goes out the window when you start just doing. So I think, you know, that's the first thing is that, you know, the, the most important way to, to test the hypothesis is just to, to go out and throw things at a wall, right? And, and see if you get responses. Um, so I think you know, that's definitely the, the first. Um, the second is, is definitely around funding. Um, and this is something that's incredibly prevalent in the Bay Area, but I think everywhere. I think it, it kind of permeates popular cultural and also business culture is that, you know, in order to start a business and be successful, you have to raise a certain amount of money. And so when I first started working, um, my focus was on raising money. You know, I, I started, I came out to the Bay Area and said, okay, well, I have this business. I can't see, you know, how we're going to hire the people we need without a bunch of money in the bank. And we tried to raise a million dollars um, in the first six months and failed completely. Um, I remember <laughs> you know, countless nights sitting up saying, how do people do this? You know, I don't have anybody in my network who I can raise money from. These VCs don't want to talk to me. They don't know me. Um, how am I going to do this? And it was only after, you know, months of, of rejections from um, angel investors, from VCs, um, that I started kind of pushing forward really out of necessity into just 
generating real revenue, you know, finding customers who are willing to believe in this. Um, because that's really the core function of the business is to find customers. Um, and that's not to say that you don't need money to build a business. But um, what I found is that we were able to, you know, find customers. And by focusing on that element, we were able to grow and we were able to, to be successful. And what I've learned, and again, this is probably, you know, my opinion, other people will provide other perspectives, but, you know, the, the real value of, of taking money from venture capital is to grow. And so you only want to do that once you've really figured out the right business model and you're already succeeding, you're already selling to customers and you just need more money to do more of what you're already doing successfully. Um, so that was probably one of my, my most significant findings there. Um, and then the, the, the last part that I'll, I'll touch on is the need to have a product to start, um, to start, doing business. So, you know, we spent the first probably year without a technology product built. Um, our first customers, we were serving using PowerPoint slides in Excel, and it was more of a services offering. And that allowed us to get to know some of those customers so much better than anybody else in the space, because we were talking to them on the phone day to day, explaining what these PowerPoint slides meant. And that allowed us to, when we actually built a technology platform, build something that very closely aligned with their needs um, and, and build a platform that, that, and a product that really helped them and served them. So you know, I guess that's what I would boil it down to is, you know, you don't need a product. You don't necessarily need to raise venture capital money from day one. And then, you know, just start doing, start executing as soon as you can. That's awesome advice. So I wanted to ask a little bit about 500 startups. Congratulations. Um, and just to hear a little bit about that accelerator program and, and what that's kind of provided for you all. Um, yeah. Sure. Um, so first of all, thank you. Um, it's, it's been a great experience going through the program. Um, so for those who don't know, 500 startups is, is one of the the accelerator programs in, in San Francisco. So there's an ecosystem of startup infrastructure focused around helping young companies get access to capital, get access to people, um, and ultimately understand how to grow in a startup environment. And so for our team, what was really attractive about 500 startups was the fact that, you know, we all came from traditional business backgrounds we knew how to sell consulting services. We knew how to run a consulting business or an investment banking business. Um, but we didn't necessarily know how to think about the, we didn't necessarily know how to think about the elements of growing a business in a startup environment. And so 500 startups does a great job of exposing companies to, um, to thought leaders in the startup industry, to people who know how to think about growth in a much more dynamic way. And that was incredibly helpful for us. Um, and then on the other side, um, there's an element of credentialing. And so, you know, given that um, our team was all relatively new to the startup space, we were new to the Bay Area, um, 
we didn't have a lot of credibility talking to investors. Um, a lot of the way the investment community works in San Francisco, you know, they, they skew towards people who've done this before. Um, if you were, you know, a repeat founder who's already sold a business, then you're able to come back and get money very easily. Um, and so, you know, by going through the program, we gained incredible exposure to investors. And even though we're not actively trying to raise money, um, we are still trying to you know, be as capital efficient as we can and then use the cash flow that we have from revenue. You know, we now have that option when it's when we're ready for it. Um, so it's been an incredible program getting to you know, go through their demo day and pitch to you know, five or six hundred leading investors in the Bay Area um, was really a, a great experience. Um, and it definitely you know, not only changed the way that our team thought about growing an agile young business, but it also helped us get access to the investors that we will need going forward. Um, what do you think is the greatest current problem that hasn't been tackled? Um, and you might, ha you might know more than us um, about a problem that is currently being worked upon. Um, I always think this is a really interesting, um, our, our entrepreneurs always have a really interesting perspective. Sure. Um, well, my, my answer is twofold. I think, you know, the, the first part of it is, is pretty straightforward, which, you know, the fact that, you know, our climate is, is very clearly changing, you know, you can see this day in and day out and, and we don't really as a civilization have a good answer for how we can live sustainably on a planet while coping with the inevitable impacts of, of a changing climate that, you know, are going to happen regardless of what we do from here on out. Um, it seems like, you know, there's lots of things going on at a, at a micro level, but um, I haven't seen anything that's been coordinated at a large enough scale that can really help lead us to being able to simply live on a planet that is, is quickly changing without you know, quickening the pace of that change. I mean, so that's, you know, the, the problem that I think, you know, everybody is, is beginning to become aware of, or, you know, if they've been aware, kind of realize the severity of it. Um, you know, when I think about solutions, you know, this is a problem that I'm much closer to in that, you know, we're trying to solve a trade space is that the, while the pace of innovation is, is definitely changing, you know, we haven't seen companies build technology on as large a scale as they used to. You know, when you think about infrastructure projects in the, the 30s and the 40s and the 50s, you know, building highways across the U.S., building dams, building rockets that, you know, can get to the moon. Um, you know, I feel like we haven't really seen that type of stepwise function innovation happening. And, and a lot of that is because that, you know, technology is is trapped within companies and the nature of innovation these days requires that companies collaborate with each other, requires that you share different technologies such that, you know, to build a safe autonomous car, you need technology from an automotive company, um, but also from a software company and from a navigation company and a sensor company. And so I think the greatest kind of, the greatest challenge to innovation um, right now is the inability of companies to really share technology effectively. 
and to put different things together to, to build really compelling technology. Collaboration. It's the magic word that hopefully people can start to see as being so important. Um, so a little bit of a fun, fun question to kind of round this off. Um, what were you like when you were 10 years old? <laughs> <laughs> that is, that's a great question. Um, I was, I was an incredibly nerdy 10 year old. <laughs> yes. I was, the, I was the 10 year old, you know, sitting in the, the corner of the classroom, reading a, a Lord of the Rings book or uh, yes. a nonfiction biography. Um, so I, <laughs> I love to read, um, but I also, I played soccer. Um, I was uh, pretty active as well, um, and uh, I did love building things. I remember, I think there's, there's still probably this enormous tub of Legos somewhere in my parents' house, um, <laughs> and, you know, I remember I would always, you know, build, build one Lego set and then take it apart and throw all those Legos in the tub to kind of form this this big, just diverse pile of different Legos and you know the, the most fun part was not you know was not building the the actual set but was trying to build something new um, from this whole kind of hodgepodge of Legos so I think you know for me it was spending time between reading you know trying to build things and then you know just being a kid and you know playing sports having fun that's awesome <laughs> okay so fast forward to now um, what song would you sing at karaoke? <laughs> it's, it's funny you ask this. Um, we actually went through this exercise um, a couple of weeks ago for Demo Day. Um, you're actually asked to pick a song to walk out to. Oh, yes, so that's awesome. <laughs> our whole team went through the, the process of, you know, what song typifies trade space? What song, you know, do I like? And um, the one we went with, which I, I love, and it's an old school song, is Touch the Sky by Kanye West. Um, yeah. So it's got some, some old school horns and jazz in it. Um, has Kanye West, um, some great lyrics. So that would be my, my choice today. Awesome. <laughs> Good choice. Um, and then finally, um, if you want to end this off by asking, how did U of R, the University of Richmond, really impact you as a professional today? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I think my time at, at University of Richmond was was really invaluable um, in that you know it taught me to to really kind of go after what I wanted. Um, and, and it's interesting. I'll, I'll give an example, not to to knock any other schools, but you know, fast forward to when I was in consulting. I remember you know we always liked hiring University of Richmond students as opposed to maybe even Ivy League students. And that was because we always felt that you know, they didn't have any expectations that things were going to be handed to them. Um, there was you know, always a willingness to just kind of roll up the sleeves and start attacking problems and kind of figure it out. And I think you know, that's one of the, the things that Richmond instills in students is that you, know, you really have to, to work for what you want. And, you know, I think Richmond provides a lot of opportunity, but they don't serve it to you on a platter. You know, I think if you want to do something, you have to kind of go out and, and make it happen yourself. Um, so whether that's, you know, for me, 
kind of get going out and kind of figuring out where I wanted to study abroad and, you know, picking out a program that wasn't endorsed by U of R, but, you know, getting the, the support to do that or, you know, whether it's, you know, proposing different research projects within the economics department. Um, I think U of R gives students a lot of opportunity and responsibility to propose things themselves and to kind of set their own path and to work towards that. And I think that's something that can be incredibly valuable, whether you're going out and starting a company or going to work in a larger company. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time today. We wish you the best of luck with TradeSpace and any other endeavors that come up in the future. And we appreciate you being our very first Spider-Made podcast guest. Thank you so much, Alec. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for tuning in with us for our very first episode of Spider-Made Podcast. Um, we hope to see you next month. Um, on October, we'll be interviewing Melissa Tavs. She is the founder of Tipsy Scoop, a boozy ice cream brand. If you have questions for Melissa or comments about our episode with Alec, please email us at spidermade at richmond.edu. We'd love to hear from you. See you next month. Yeah.